This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear even more REO Speedwagon on the stereo. So when you're in the Chicago area, and you want to keep on loving those arcade games, then take it on the run to the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. And we survived into 2014. Woohoo! Go us! Surviving! That's crazy. Did you have a good New Year's, though? I did, yes. I didn't do much New Year's Eve, but a friend of mine hosted a um, Hobbit party on New Year's Day, and that was super fun. Well, you can never go wrong with a Hobbit party. You can't. So there was games and just actually just hanging out and just, yeah, super fun little, little low-key gathering of people. Um, I think everybody but me was there and hung over. <laughs> I had done really nothing for New Year's, so I showed up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, as they say. What about you? It was okay. We, we, uh, my wife and I spent some time with a friend of ours and uh, tried to avoid the drunk drivers and the DUI checkpoints all over the city. So About time you started avoiding those. Yeah. yeah well, uh, you run into a bunch of them over and over again. You begin to figure out where they're going to put them so you can oh, avoid sure. them. Yeah. Yeah, here in Toronto, we have a thing called Ride, which is the, they pull you over and it's a drunk driving test to make sure you've, you know, papers, please, but really it's a drunk test. Oh, um, yeah. And it comes out more at the, the holiday times and New Year's and that kind of stuff. So you just get used to it. People just see them all the time. You just drive slowly through it and they come up to your window. There's normally a bunch of people. So you actually go through them really quick because they're not pulling one car over a time. They're pulling like five at a time in groups. So it's really fast. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're very they just, they just sort of set up a roadblock on a busy road and narrow traffic down to like one lane. And so it's very inefficient and slow. Oh, ours will do the roadblock thing, but it's, they won't narrow it down. It'll be both lanes. They'll have police officers on both sides and say like three on one side, three on the other side. And so they can stop six cars at once and they stop oh. you and then they let the next six through. So it's actually going through about as fast as a traffic light would. So it's not a big deal. Oh goodness. No, we, we have regulations in, in place to prevent law enforcement from being that efficient. <laughs> okay. I see. Efficiency equals budget cuts, and that's a bad thing. We can't have budget cuts. We've got a crackhead no. mayor. Who's cutting budgets up <laughs> that's here? That's right. It's, it's the Wild West up here in Toronto right now. <laughs> it's fueling his habit. Yep. Uh, um, uh, uh. Tell me we have feedback, Carrington. We've got feedback, Carrington. Yes, we do. <laughs> we got a few things. Uh, Jeremy wrote in to send us a really cool link, um, and it, it's to an article over in Wired. He sent the wired.co.uk version, but presumably it's also on wired.america. And uh, <laughs> the subject is creator of Defender explains why he's still making coin-op video game cabinets. Which because is, he's crazy? No, it's super cool. So it's Eugene Jarvis, and I guess uh -huh. he's the guy behind Defender. I think I, sh I should know that a year and a half into the show. I should know who makes <laughs> Defender, but we haven't actually talked about Defender yet, so I don't know. That. And uh, he runs a company called Raw Thrills, which is one of the few companies that's still creating like the old-fashioned, you know, sit down at it, put coins in it, video game cabinets. And he was in it back in the day, and he's still in it today. So he's one of the few people who have, you know, 
gone 30 years in the industry. So it's a, it's a pretty cool article with, with him and his background and links to the, the current stuff he makes. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Very cool. Neat. I thought so too. Uh, Data Jerk, Egan Ford, friend of the mm. show. He yes. sent in a really cool link as well. This actually came, I think, a couple weeks ago, but we forgot to mention it last show. It's classic arcade game designs illustrated as a field guide like one of those little books if you're out looking at birds and so it shows you the silhouette of the bird and it tells you all about it imagine mm-hmm. one of those but for arcade games <laughs> so it's like the silhouette of the arcade you say <laughs> if you see this in the wild this is a space invaders <laughs> cocktail it's amazingly cool so uh, we'll have a link to that it's on gizmodo and i just loved it so super super cool link and that came mm-hmm. in from egan thank you egan mating calls of the 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 wild Canadian <laughs> bubbles machine. Ah, the wild Canadian bubbles machine. <laughs> Who's currently running for mayor of Toronto? <laughs> probably win. <laughs> we'll vote for anything up here, man. You know, Data Jerk is not nearly as bad a guy as his name would have you have you believe when you say it. But. No, because you met him, right? I've met him a few times. He's yeah. been out to the. He's came out to the one up for. Uh, he was out here on business, and we played arcade games. And he was out for. Um, for the Kong off, and I think he's going to be contributing to a prize we'll be giving away coming up soon. So, just a great guy. Very cool. So, anyway, yeah. people people yeah. need to get this uh, this field guide thingy. I think it's available as like a single guide you can download as a PDF, but also like posters that you can purchase from some company called Society Six. I'm kind of a little unclear of how you actually get your hands on this stuff, but I'll have links and people that are better at this than me can just click on everything until it shows up at your house. Yeah, just just figure it out and let us know. Right. So I've got a couple of other notes about feedback here that I'm a little afraid of. <laughs> I'm supposed to throw to you. First of all, it's something about Victor um, giving me poo about poo yet. <laughs> Victor Marlin, yes. My, my dear friend, Victor. Oh, well, if he's your dear friend, what, is, what did I get wrong? Uh, well, no, you didn't get anything wrong. It's that you sucked at poo yet. First, though, we should say that last week we spent all, all this time laying out the, uh, the feedback and what we were going to talk about and who we were going to address and then just completely ignored it and went right into <laughs> Uh, Starcade, which was fine, but so, so some of this this week is a little bit old, but we thought we should address a few of them anyway. Sure. Uh, and of course, if we didn't get to yours, uh, we apologize. We just get a lot of stuff, um, and so our shows would be very long if, if all we did was sit here and read feedback, and or I just sat here and apologized for five minutes. <laughs> uh, anyway, Victor says I just had my first game in ages and got thirty nine thousand points. So Carrington, you suck. <laughs> I do suck. <laughs> I distinctly recall that I do suck at Booyan. I don't remember what my score was, but it was something like seven. <laughs> seven or eight points. <laughs> something along those lines. Uh, Ken Watson also wrote in, not to taunt you, but he, he wrote in to say that my best score in one game of Puyen was and still is 289,600, and, and I played the game for 22 minutes. Because if you recall... In addition to a score, it also tells you how long your game lasted. Oh, to right. really humiliate you when you lost in like 30 seconds. Oh, that I remember now. My game was like eight minutes or something. And I thought, <laughs> I must be doing well. Who gets an eight-minute game? That's awesome. Everybody. <laughs> Clearly, everybody. Does. <laughs> yes. Whatever, man. I'm old. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, me too. Keep off my lawn. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a note here. Uh, Roberta email. I don't know what that means. Let's see what Roberta, Roberta had to say to you, Carrington. Oh, Roberta, God. <laughs> what else did I get wrong? Um, no, this wasn't slamming you, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> Roberta, who has written in before, um, and we love her email address that we can't read out on the air. Uh, she wrote, oh, that's now I know who that is. Yes, yes she has. She the just best wrote in to say that um, say that uh, that she really enjoyed last year, and she's looking forward to this year. Nice. So, 
for those who care about this stuff and follow any sort of behind-the-scenes stuff, I've had some problems with Audacity recently, and so I said to heck with it, and I switched over to Audio Hijack Pro for my recording. I've had several people write in and say, wow, you sound so much better. So I think overall it was an improvement getting away from Audacity. Not that not that it's a bad program overall, because it's great for editing. It's just the, the last time we recorded a show, uh, large segments of audio were just missing. So, mm-hmm. uh, and it was just too much of a risk to continue using that. So we switched. And it people, like, yeah. A lot of people do use, I've never used audacity cause I sort of don't like the look of it and I'm kind of snobby mm-hmm. about my audio tools, but a lot of people <laughs> do use it and swear by it. So I think it is a decent piece of software. I just don't have any experience with it myself. Yeah. It, it has a very windows look. There's a lot of tools and buttons and stuff like that. It's kind of cluttered in the way that you would expect the windows application to be and, and all you Windows lovers out there, you can send your hate mail directly to me. It's just fine. <laughs> no, it's just a personal taste thing. Like I, I, I used to use, I've used lots of different things for people interested in podcasting stuff. In case you're sometimes, I remember when I first got into podcasting, I was really, really keen to find out what other people used. We should actually maybe set up a, uh, something like that, maybe a page or something to let people know what gear we do use, mics, sure. that kind of stuff. Sometimes people are really interested. So write in if you're interested and we'll <laughs> happily tell you about all the stuff we use. I seem to switch microphones every two weeks, but I can tell you what I'm currently using. <laughs> Actually, I'm currently using two microphones. I'm testing one and using the other. Um, but I like uh, Logic Pro. I, I do my, huh. my editing on a Mac and I, I, I love Logic Pro. Love it, love it, love it. So that's what I use for my editing. Audacity does have one big advantage over over uh, Logic Pro, and that's that it's free. Mm. But you do get what you pay for sometimes. So, anyway, Roberta says that uh, she would like to add Donkey Kong Junior. and Blasteroids to the list of games to play and discuss. They're my current two favorites. Yes, you're good. Good choices, both. Yes, definitely. Keep up all the great work with No Quarter Podcast. Well, keep up the great work listening, Roberta. We appreciate it. And um. Another person, actually, I want to give a quick shout out to the Intellivisionaries podcast, who a f- last episode, I think for them, which was the December episode, of, I think they've got four out now, plus a kind of a non-episode episode, and I listened to all four of them and enjoyed them quite a lot, and uh, Paul, Rick, and William over there gave us a very nice, they were talking about other shows, other podcasts that they listened to, and they gave us a, a nice little shout out, so I thought I'd return the favors, and what's nice is they are a fellow member of the Throwback Network, as we are the over at throwbacknetwork.net. So if you're a fan of this show and want more, you know, retro goodness during your commute, that is a great place to drop in because every podcast there is some sort of retro thing, that, thus the name Throwback. So good place to find a bunch of really good, uh, really good podcasts. So. Yeah, in fact, my wife actually is a big fan of theirs. Um, that's the console that she has uh, warm, fuzzy memories about, so she's really enjoying that. It was my first real gaming console too like i had that a a few friends had the atari 2600 but i was an television guy i subsequently got a 2600 while it was still like the the new thing so i we had both of them but it was Mm. the intellivision that i started with and i really liked the problem was uh, most of the games i had were like two-person games and they were great games but my sister didn't want to play them and i didn't have other friends that wanted to play them either so i'd be sitting there with sea battle going like do I play by myself and pretend I don't know where my sub is? Like, so the main reason I think my family also got 2600 was the, the large number of solo games on it. But uh, I was like, preferred the Intellivision. I'd actually considered launching an Intellivision podcast myself, but then realized I kind of didn't know anything about it. <laughs> so I was just sort of vaguely thinking I want to, I want to launch some of the shows. And I, I had that on my mind, but they're doing such a good job that I'm sort of glad that I didn't. I think we're all glad, Carrington. Yes. Everyone's <laughs> glad when I don't have a new show. 
Uh, Keith Smith wrote in. Um, Keith Smith is the author of the All in Color for a Quarter blog that we actually referenced in the Starcade episode, but he wrote in because he's a little bit behind, and he was listening to Macho Mouse, our Macho Mouse episode, so two or three episodes behind. Uh, and you mentioned, he says, you mentioned your efforts to find out more about Techstar. Oh, right. Yeah, I remember that. He says, I'm in the middle of a series of posts on the history of Century, uh, and he has one, and there's quite a bit of information on Techstar on, on that particular blog. He says, a brief summary, Bill Olegs, Ol- I don't know how to pronounce that, was one of the founders of Universal Research Labs, who worked on a number of games for other companies, starting with Allied Leisure's Paddle Battle in 1973. <laughs> um, probably I think I saw the, that movie. <laughs> probably the best-selling of all the Pong games, including the original Atari Pong. Really? Well, that's interesting. Yeah. URL formed its own coin-op division called Electra Games, and still later, URL were purchased by Stern and designed games for them, most notably Berserk. In 1980, Allied Leisure, a, a Florida manufacturer, changed its name to Century and bought, uh, brought in Olegis and Ed Miller, who were both working for Taito America at that point, to head up the company. Olegis left to form Techstar in 1981, and Miller left to form Telco. It's T-E-L-K-O. I'm not sure why. It may have had something to do with their bonuses, but that's just my speculation. Yeah, it seemed like a weird sort of place. And, and I had wondered about that Techstar because there was, wasn't a ton of info. And it seemed like an odd thing that Augie's was working at that and another company, what seemed like overlapping times. And it was just, you know, it was a, it was a, a tumultuous point in arcade history, I think. Yep, and he's done a great job writing that article. Uh, the, uh, the series is called The Ultimate So Far History of Allied Leisure. Nice. Yep. Plenty of great information there. Thank you for writing in, Keith. Thank you for listening. Uh, it's a great blog. I highly suggest you check that out. Yeah, I'll make sure we have a link to it again in the show notes. And he better write in next week to give us another reason. <laughs> How many weeks right. in a row can you get us the link to you, man? Challenge. <laughs> the challenge yeah. is out there. Uh, and, and don't worry, folks, but there's a lot of feedback here. That's because there's not much game to talk about. So, um uh, Brad B. wrote in with uh, more recent feedback. Uh, Retro Gaming Roundup Podcast number 39 has a great interview with Jeff Edwards about Starcade. if you're interested. Thank you, Brad, for uh, mentioning that. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, definitely worth Yeah, listening. definitely want to link to that. Yep. It's a, it's a fun interview. Uh, Jeff has a good sense of humor about the whole thing, so check that out. Um, i got to say, one of the things uh, that, for me, came out of our Starcade episode was I always kind of, like when I looked at the Starcade episodes before we got into podcasting, and, and I think I talked about last week how I never watched them as a kid, I, I sort of came away with the impression that Jeff Edwards seemed like a good guy and it seemed like a, like a fun host. In watching them again to do our episode and then in getting feedback about it and listening to interviews, it's just convinced me he really is a good guy. Like he seems like a fun fellow and was probably fun to work with and, and was a big contributor to the sort of the success and enjoyment of that show. And it does seem like the guys behind the scenes had a lot of fun making it as well. We have those little clips of like them singing in the last week's show and, and that kind of thing. Um, it seems like it was a fun thing to do. Make, make that, uh, make that show. Yeah. Yeah. A total of 131 episodes. So I, you know, if he, if he had been a jerk, it would have been a miserable ride. So when we get to our 132nd episode, I think we should send a big raspberry to Jeff Edwards. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Vintage Volts wrote in to say that uh, he was familiar with the Starcade franchise for quite a while, way back in 1983. My parents got a C-band satellite dish, the big three-meter-sized thing. Back then, you could pick up almost every 
quote, cable channel broadcast for redistribution on satellite. <laughs> Pirate channels, I see. <laughs> I stumbled across the WTBS channel when Starcade was playing, was absolutely amazed at the show. My teenage self was known to have said something like, wow, cool. <laughs> teenage selves are known to say <laughs> things like that. Pretty much. I watched it religiously every time it was broadcast on TBS until I left for the Army in 1984. Since then, I had completely lost track of it until G4 started playing it on rotation in the early 2000s. Uh, due to this, I was able to acquire videotape copies of almost all the broadcast shows except for the pilots. Every once in a while, I'll run my own personal Starcade marathon. Pretty cool, man. That is very cool. Nice. Yeah. Any other Facebook feedback that we should be talking about, Carrington? Nah, I think that wraps it up. That's lots of feedback. We always get lots of things. And sorry to people. Um, I always feel a little guilty because most people write in and we, we can't say it on air because there's just only so much time. But we tr- I say we try to write back to people. Mike tries to write back to people. <laughs> and I appreciate that he put some effort in. <laughs> I, like you, Carrington, I, I feel sort of bad about it. But if you post your feedback to, to Facebook, one, I will for, cert- for sure see it. And Carrington probably will, too. And everybody else will, too, and they can contribute that way. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to send us an email, that's great. Um, but we may or may not get to read that on air, so it may just disappear into that vacuum, and you'll wonder if we ever saw it. I promise you that we did, if, even if we didn't read it. Um, yeah. There is one more piece of feedback that I, I feel that we should read because it's from our sponsor, uh, Scott Lambert at the Underground Retrocade. Who we love very much. Yes. <laughs> we love him because he's our sponsor. No, we're kidding. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> Scott says uh, in, in talking about the Starcade episodes, he says, love, love, love this, love this, love this. We've been replaying episodes of Starcade at the underground since we first opened in our original location and plan to take a very Steve Jobs approach to creating an inclusive, entertaining adaptation very soon. Wheels are turning. So, Ooh, that's exciting. That sounds very interesting. I yeah. want to be kept in the loop about that. that I want really to be exciting. a part of that, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Please, Mr. Sponsor, include us. <laughs> <laughs> we actually get good. That's a, that's a thing. Unlike most of the podcasts that I'm involved in that have sponsors, uh, this is, I think, the only show where I've actually had positive feedback like people will tweet and say, "Oh, that was the funniest like bumper yet," because we do those little bumpers at the beginning with the little yeah. pun. And mm-hmm. when you get feedback where people are saying, "Hey, that was a funny commercial," or whatever, <laughs> you know, you're not annoying your listeners. So it's a good synergy we have, I think, with our sponsorship right now. So I'm, I'm really, really happy about that. Well, I'm excited about doing like a. Is he going to do like a Starcade thing on site? You think? Oh man, that's mm. that's exciting. Tell us, tell us, Scott. We want to know. Tell maybe, us. Maybe you can go there and he'll give away all his games. <laughs> He'll just give you can us. win that game. <laughs> so hopefully not. <laughs> All right. So I think that about wraps it up for feedback this week, which brings us to. Brings us to Fast Freddy, a.k.a. Flyboy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry if my tone. Yeah. I'm sorry if my tone just gave away what I'm going to say about the game. Um, yeah, we're kicking off the new year with a real winner. <laughs> Yeah. So let's get into the details here. Uh, Fast Freddy was manufactured under license from Kaneko. I say Kaneko. Okay. But then remember, I used to say Taitio or whatever. So (laughs) let's let's recall that I shouldn't be the one who picks the way these things are called. (laughs) And what this is, is a hang gliding game. And that's really all it is. Uh, Reading from the back of the flyer here, uh, the, the, um, Ad copy says, the ad copy goes, take off on a fantastic video trip, a voyage that simulates the thrills and skills of actual hang gliding. Players use the joystick to control Fast Freddy, 
but good timing and strategy is necessary to successfully negotiate invisible air currents, wind direction, and up and down drafts. Freddy, Fast Freddy has incredible visual impact. Freddy flies the skies over the Alps, over trains, trees, bridges, through winter and summer seasons, over the Pacific, over a yacht, tropical islands, and an aircraft carrier, and over Egypt. Camels, pyramids, the Taj Mahal, even though I'm pretty sure the Taj Mahal is not in Egypt, the Sphinx, and through day and night landscapes. It's a complete global challenge with nonstop action over continuously changing panorama below. Oh, how I wish the game had been anything like that. Nonstop action implies that the action doesn't stop every 20 seconds when you die and have to start <laughs> over. I would disagree with the whole nonstop idea. I found it stopped frequently. And very quickly. <laughs> yeah, so... Fast Freddy is based on an earlier game um, that you're going to tell us about right now, Carrington. Well, it's basically this, the same. In fact, it is the same game. They, they made just sort of small changes for Flyboy. So, oh, sorry, Flyboy was the original. They made small changes for Fast Freddy. So when Kaneko did Flyboy, which I think was their first game, Kaneko's a pretty obscure company. I don't know a lot about them. And if, I think unless you're like really into arcade games, most people... It's not a name that leaps to mind. If you ask the general public, they'll know Bally and they'll know Midway and they'll know, you know, Nintendo. But most people aren't going to list, maybe people even know Stern, but they're not going to list Kaneko. Um, I think they're most famous for, I think they did that Gal's Panic game that I was always, didn't want to play because it was like a dirty version of Kicks. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, can't play that. It's got cartoons. One of those characters. (laughs) Totally. So Flyboy was, I think, their first game. And it's basically, I did play it because, you know, you can only play so much Fast Freddy. So this week I thought, I'll try the original because uh, we're not going to do two episodes about this game. <laughs> and so uh, it's essentially the exact same game, exact same three stages, same artwork, pretty much. Um, other than Flyboy is a lot slower. The You move slower, but it's also that you're, you're, when you're controlling with the joystick, the Fast Freddy, the guy on the hang glider, he moves, makes changes to his speed and his, his height much much slower and has sort of inertia to it so the game is less frantic and in that sense you think it would be easier but you move so slow it's just that like your death inevitably comes and you can't get away from it it just it just (laughs) it actually makes it more annoying the other changes uh we haven't talked about it yet but in in fast freddy there are three stages like the flyer kind of says that there's this stuff you go over but it's really three distinct stages you're doing this alpine town on the first stage, second stage is across like an ocean. And then the third stage is the business with Egypt slash India. Um, exact same stages, same coloring, same everything for Flyboy. Um, in both games, you've got a kick button that we should talk about a bit about how you can kick down airplanes, which is kind of weird. Um, but in Flyboy, there's a map in the lower corner and it's like totally useless. Like here's where you're, it's not like you can change direction or anything. It's just, it's anyway, there's this useless map. The Atari version got rid of the useless map. Hooray for that. And put in a kick meter. And in the Atari version, you can basically hold down the, the kick button and it'll just kick repeatedly, but you, but your kick meter counts down and you only replenish that when you die or end the level. Whereas in Flyboy, it's just a kick button. You have to just keep pressing it to kick. There's no repeated stuff, and there's also no kick meter. So that's really the only change is it's slower, and there's no kick meter. That's not fun at all. No, no, neither <laughs> version. Neither version is fun. What bugs me, what bugs me the most about the game, like we we've talked about some games where the metaphor doesn't work. Like we, you know, the, our favorite kicking game, Bubbles, 
Where it's like, there's a problem mm. with this. And some games, when the metaphor doesn't work, it doesn't bug me as much. When something doesn't scale or what have you. So in here, you're playing a fellow on a hand glider. And your hand glider is essentially the exact same size and basically the same speed as a bunch of planes. These biplanes are attacking you. That kind of doesn't make sense. But what really doesn't make sense is your defense is you can kick. And you can kick down a plane. Like, if, you're, if the plane is below you, you can kick it. And the plane will basically die. The plane tumbles out of the sky. And that seems like a strange defensive move. Yeah, so the, the physics in this game, they talk about the updrafts and the crosswinds and things like that. And then yet you're kicking down an airplane. Yeah. Uh, which I, I just, I couldn't really buy into it. And it's it, like you said, it's very frustrating to see your inevitable death as it's coming and not be able to do a thing about it. Yeah. And you can only kick if, since it's a kick move, you're kicking down so there is no defense at all if the planes come from the front the back or on top of you they just hit you and and you die and die really quick it's not like you're just like boom dead start again and that's it's the start again part that bothers me it's not that these levels are particularly long but as soon as you die you're right back to the beginning you also are picking up ideally um little flags that have letters in them and you spell out the word bonus to get a big bonus which is all fine and good other than you have to spell them in order and so you get the B, you get the O, they get the N. If the next letter you get isn't the U, it's not that it doesn't count. It takes away the ones you already have. So if you swoop, you have to constantly be trying to be aware of, well, what's the next letter I need? And you can't always spell it because if you just, if there's only the one U and you miss it, well, it's just going to keep giving you Bs again. And if you take them, you get rid of the flags you already have. So I really didn't like the bonus thing at all. But what bothers me, I think the most is in stage two of the three stages, which I found to be the hardest stage, even though it's the second stage. And why it was so hard is when you collide with a, a bad guy, like a plane, you die. If you collide with the ground, you die. If you collide with a cloud, you die. <laughs> and so it bothered me at stage two that you're flying and you're having to avoid the clouds. And I would constantly die by hitting a cloud because it seems like it's just background and it shouldn't kill you. But the clouds are actually like big stones in the sky, I guess. Um, and the planes can go through them, but if you touch them, you die. And that, that just drove me crazy. Yeah, it's sort of like a bad movie. You know, I can, I can, I don't care what story you're telling me, as long as you establish certain, the rules to your world are clear to me and you stick to them, I can pretty much buy into whatever you want to tell me. Uh, it's when you begin to violate rules or do weird stuff like, well, you can go through the gravestone or the cloud, but I can't, that I get frustrated. Yeah, the clouds just would mess me up because they just didn't seem like an actual sprite because they're just staying there and they're moving with the background. So yeah, I found that one just drove me crazy. There is parts of the game I did like though. Like I liked the look of the characters. The background colors I wasn't that into. Like when you're in the Egypt area, it's like a blood red sky. It's like Egypt on Mars. It's kind of weird. You got those blue balls floating after you. I guess it's supposed to be aliens or something. I don't know. Hmm. Um, but I liked like the look of actual Fast Freddy and the cartoon planes. And I didn't like the flags because I found sometimes there'd be like a white letter on a light gray flag. So I, it's so important to only pick up the flag that has the letter you need. And I couldn't always see what the letter was. <laughs> oh, that was very frustrating. But the... The actual graphics themselves, like the actual sprites and, and the cartoony bits, I actually quite liked the art. I thought it was fun and, and appropriate, and so I liked that bit. On the other hand, I hated the sound. Holy cow, does this game have awful... This, whenever there's an enemy on screen, which is pretty much always, since there's a planes in formation and birds and, I guess, clouds, but if there's ever an enemy on screen, it makes this like alert sound buzzing thing. 
that just goes constantly for the whole game. It drove me crazy. So I just ended up muting the game and playing with music on instead. Yeah, I did the same thing. I just cranked up the arcade ambience and, and uh, a little bit of Metallica in the background. Then I didn't have to deal with the Fast Freddy noise anymore because it just annoyed me so much. I think it's an example and it's something we haven't talked about this before, but there, it's a very different experience when you're playing like as we do. You're at home or in an office or something or like me taking an hour off work and playing <laughs> in your <laughs> office. Then it's just you and the game. So there isn't that arcade ambience. There isn't. There's like just you and the sounds. And I think sometimes game sounds were designed to try to cut through a very busy arcade. So I'm in a very different experience if it's just me in a basement with a main machine or something. And it's, and the sound is just piercing and loud and annoying. But if you're in a place that has screaming kids and a hundred games all going, you know, full tilt, uh, tilt, <laughs> then maybe that buzzing isn't annoying because it's the only way that you'd like actually hear that something's going on. That said, in this game, I think it's kind of useless because it's just like a constant siren going off. Hey, there's, it's basically telling you the game is active. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so that's not good. But sometimes I think the sounds that annoy me maybe wouldn't annoy me if I was in an actual arcade and they were just part of the background noise. So I should cut it some slack. But here I do think the sound is just inappropriate because all it is is that buzz going constantly. You know, it's interesting. You're talking about arcade sound and, and playing a game. I was in an arcade. I was in the One Up recently, and they had rolled out the uh, the Tapper machine, and they have one of the one of the rare ones that's got the the beer tap handles and the the foot rail and stuff oh, like cool. that. Oh, cool! Nice. That's a great looking cabinet. That's one of the great cabinets. And and man, I had to stop playing it because the sound was so loud that it was like it was painful to my ears, and people around me were like staring at me, and I'm like, and I was looking <laughs> around, going, I I I didn't set this. It was it, I, I could not believe that they put the game out that loud. It's that just brought to brought a whole bunch of unpleasant memories to mind. Thank you, Carrington. <laughs> That's what I'm here for, baby. <laughs> the thing is, those things are always adjustable. There's always going to be a way exactly. either in the back of the machine or in through software that you adjust that level. So it, it, that that was fixable. And that that's yeah. such a beautiful cabinet. Like, oh my goodness. And, and it was made worse because... Part of the game sound effects is is glass smashing, so you get that every be this this blaringly loud music, and then every now and then the glass would just smash and just completely blow your your eardrums out. Crazy, crazy. Very popular at bars, I'm sure. <laughs> Must be. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Atari released this game in 1982. That's odd. Um, yeah, 1982. Yep. Same. I think the same year as Flyboy came out. I think it came out in Japan as Flyboy. Then within six months or so, it had been licensed and released in in America by Atari. It did, and the reason that kind of surprises me is that the scoring system is that, um, and we've talked about this before, a lot of the older games, you get 10, 20, 30 points for things as opposed to the stuff that started showing up in 82, 83, where you get 10,000, 20,000. But this game gives you between, it looks like 30, 30 points for airplanes and 50 points for helicopters in the Alpine area, and they slowly increase as you go all the way down to the Egypt area, and that's you get 70 points for Genie on a Carpet, uh, 90 points for a flying carpet, and then there are some bonuses. You can get bonuses for 100 points uh, for for picking up a letter flag. Spell if you're spelling out bonus, then the the letter bonus is 200 points. Uh, if you land on a platform, that can be worth anywhere from a thousand to five thousand points. And once you successfully spell out bonus, uh, then landing on the platforms gives you between five thousand and twenty five thousand points. 
Yeah, I never once successfully spelled out the word bonus. Nor I. Oh, so annoying. I did learn, like, at the end, when you get those little landing platforms, it'll say, okay, like, now it's landing. <laughs> it calls it landing time, <laughs> and a little platform will appear. It's always a good idea, unless you're, like, desperate to finish the game, to skip that first platform, because it'll be worth, like, a thousand points. Because more platforms come every second or so, so you can all, you'll always have time to see two or three of them at least. And all the subsequent ones will be narrower, but they'll also be worth a lot more points. So usually instead of taking that 1,000 point one, if you just wait a couple of seconds, you'll get two to 5,000 for landing on a, on a slightly smaller one. And they're really not that hard to land on. In the original game, uh, Flyboy, it's really easy to land on them because you're moving so slowly. Since everything's quicker in Fast Freddy, that's one of the few things that's more difficult in Fast Freddy is the landing because everything's just moving a little faster. So Fast Freddy features a, a, a Z80 at 3.072 megahertz for the main CPU, another Z80 at 1.536 megahertz for the sound and two custom and, and two dedicated sound chips, the AY8910s, each at 1.536 megahertz. It features a vertical screen with 224 by 256 uh, pixel raster display, uh, a 256 color palette. It's a two-player game, alternating. And has an eight-way joystick and one button for kicking. Kick, 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 kick. kick. <laughs> I think the whole cabinet. <laughs> Tell me about the cabinet that you want to kick, Carrington. <laughs> this freaking man! I wish I had a cabinet to kick this game, and because there's bits of it I like, but overall frustrating experience. Um, so it's the it's the typical cabinet. I think it only came in an upright. I don't think there was a cocktail or or cabaret version. I could be wrong, but I couldn't find any mention of anything other than an upright, and didn't seem to come as a kit either, which seems kind of weird for the hmm. year it came out. But as far as I can tell, it just came as a standalone thing. Uh, it's fairly angular. It's got white sides. It does have the full height side art, which is a bonus because I love full height side art on on uh, cabinets and it shows this hang glider and biplanes and it's nice looking side art it's actually a really nice looking cabinet the bezel is straight up and down so it's it doesn't it's like completely vertical it's got no lean back on it at all the monitor inside actually does lean back um but the, the actual bezel is just complete flat vertical so that's something that makes the this cabinet a little, little different than others uh and the bezel art itself is actually really colorful without instructions so it's just sort of colorful cartoony decoration around the monitor and the art on the bezel is basically the same as the side art just repeated um and like you said the control panel is really simple you just got the one right in the center a little red ball joystick in the middle eight way and a single black kick button on either side here's the thing i didn't understand some sites say um, I found this quote used over and over on the internet. Uh, this game is featured in a European style cabinet where the monitor glass and the marquee are all one piece. Hmm. And I think what they must mean is the bezel art is, is, is like not monitor glass, but the actual bezel goes up and becomes the same as the, the marquee on the top, because it doesn't make any sense to me that the actual monitor glass inside past the bezel is also the marquee like but that exact sentence like word for word appears on like 10 <laughs> sites so i think the first site the guy who actually wrote it was coin op space so i'll link to that but it seems coin op space is being uh being plagiarized all over the internet and yet still i think that sentence makes no sense <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but i haven't actually seen this cabinet in person so maybe there is something funky going on with the actual monitor glass and the bezel but i think it, and and the marquee rather but i think it's a bezel and marquee thing um, and that's why the the I did notice that the bezel art goes straight vertical. So maybe that's why it's going straight up and becomes the marquee. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, Cost-wise, 
the cabinet goes for more than you'd think. Like depending on condition, I could a lot of sites seem to say that it should be in the 400 to 600 range, but honestly, I couldn't find anybody in the last couple of years who sold it that cheap. It's normally more, you know, 500 to 800, almost up to a thousand depending on condition. And I think that's simply because of rarity. Like there's not on a lot of want lists. It doesn't seem to be a highly desired <laughs> game. I think it's just more that there's not a lot of them. And, um, and it's a unique sort of game, like as much as I don't think either of us are, super thrilled about it it's a hand gliding game and and that makes it different than most um so maybe just for the variety but i don't get why yeah. it's collectible but it'll cost you a pretty penny if you want one. yeah i i don't i don't hate this game i just there's a lot of potential here and, and again it's more of this like there's some i think some really good elements like you pointed out Carrington, and it just never really kind of gelled for me and it's really too bad because with the idea of like a hand gliding thing like if this had instead been done by Nintendo. Like they could have made a great game out of this. And I think it's really too bad that instead we got this. And it was Kaneko's first shot at making a game. And I think they kind of put it together. I don't think it was play tested very well. I think it was more like, hey, let's get something out and let's make some money. Um, but this is a game that needed more polish, I think. And it's too bad because there's some good ideas and there's some good art elements. But as an overall game, it's kind of disappointing and the sound is remarkably annoying. Oh, you know one thing we didn't mention that that struck me after a while. You play it long enough, you're like, what can I say about this game? Um, you move from right to left. Yes, which is a rare thing in, in arcade games. Yeah, and it didn't even strike me as weird at first until I started thinking about it, going, hold on, you start at the right side of the monitor and you're flying always towards the left. And I couldn't think of a lot of games, we'll probably now get 10 people writing email going, what about this, what about this? <laughs> but I couldn't think of any of the games off the top of my head, especially flying games where you actually are flying from right to left. I was thinking about that. The only one that sort of came to mind for me was Choplifter, and, and you start off on the oh, right. But good, and that's a good game too, especially on the Apple II. That's yeah. one of the all-time great home games. But that's a game where once you take off, then you're flying back and forth and up and down, and it's you have a lot more um, a lot more freedom of, of movement than than you do in a game like 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 this, where like Fast Freddy, where you just you start moving to the left and it's up to you to to survive the obstacles as they come at you because technically i guess this you would call this a a side scrolling flying shooter actually yeah except I mean, you don't shoot right it's a i flying mean flying avoider yeah you kick instead of shoot and you 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 have the sort of unique i they have the unique twist of having you on a hang glider instead of in a helicopter or a jet mm. or something like that but it you know uh, there's an article on HardcoreGaming101.net about uh, Flyboy and its history with Fast Freddy. And there's um, a little bit of talk about Kaneko and, and the history of that company, if you're interested. I like the way they wrapped it up, and so I'll let them sum it up for me. Uh, Flyboy, or in this case, Fast Freddy, is what it is. A game about a bizarre humanoid with a black hole for a mouth, just out for a gentle stroll through the sky while planes and orbs and clouds try to take him out of commission. It, <laughs> it's a weird start for Kaneko, but while it certainly didn't bring any major attention to the company, it's actually a pretty fun game once you get used to the stiff controls. I disagree with about the fun part, but um, yeah, it's sort of weird and... I think a lot of people online would complain about like the kick button not working for them, but that never was a problem with me. Like I found if I pressed kick, it kicked. I just, you know, I would forget to press it sometimes. I wonder if they're talking about the, uh, the actual arcade as opposed to emulation where the button itself was a problem. Yeah. So oh, speaking uh, of the actual arcade, well, I'll also make sure we throw it. There's a good link. A fellow bought one of these. Uh, and it was for sale on eBay in, I think, Germany, and they wouldn't ship to the U.S. So he contacted a friend of his who lives 
I think not even in Germany, but in, like, in, I don't know, let's say Switzerland or some other country, and <laughs> convince him to go over and, and get the game. That And, and there, it's on um, dragonslayerfans.com. And what's nice about it is it's the whole story of him finding the machine and buying it, and then a great, like, sort of a photo essay of his friend going to pick it up in Germany with, like, a small vehicle and how to get it out of the house and... And it's really interesting. So if you're if you've never purchased one of these machines, you don't necessarily think like if I go to pick this thing up and and uh, if you haven't read Rob's book, you might not ahead of time think it's three hundred pounds, six and a half feet tall, and it's in a basement. Go like <laughs> and you have to yeah. think well, what's involved in getting that out of someone's house without damaging their walls, and will it fit in your car, and and all those little details. And it's one thing to read about it, but it was really nice to see all these photos of of the whole process of it being picked up and, and they had this little dolly. And when it was on the dolly, it raised it up enough that it wouldn't fit in a staircase. So instead they had to think, well, okay, we'll lay it down on a blanket and then we can sort of push it up the stairs on the blanket and that'll make it run smoother and, and solving those little problems. So it was a really interesting uh, photo essay. So I'll make sure we link to that as well. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. So want to talk score? Um, yeah, we can talk score. I don't care enough about this to really care whether you beat me or not. <laughs> then I'm going to say I did. And what's up for next week? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll start. Uh, I, I got a, a miserable 22,300 points. Okay, then I did beat you finally. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that means this year so far, I've beat you every week. <laughs> well, true, true. Yeah, <laughs> true, but that, meaningless. So that this really week, sort of depresses me. <laughs> I'm just going to go away and cry. And so uh, my best score on this was 56,630. Oh, you beat me good. Um, uh, yeah, but that's still, I never finished the third stage. Like, I, mm. I know that there's only the three stages, then they repeat, but I only know that because I read about it. I could I never get to the end of that stinking Egypt stage without dying. I would get a lot of, I never once spelled out the word bonus, but I would always make sure that I picked up a bunch of flags to get points for them anyway, and I tried to kick down airplanes and land as far as you can. Like, always get the three or 5,000 point landing spot, and those little things add up. So that seemed to be the only tips. I, I asked for, for play hints on, on Twitter. Uh, and nobody wrote me even one. <laughs> so I was on my own this week. It may be that this is just not a very popular game. Uh, other than the couple of requests that we've had for it uh, from listeners, I had, this is, I had never heard of, I mean, I think I may have heard the name Fast Freddy and went, huh, I wonder what that is, but I'd never seen it, never played it. Yeah, and I don't know anybody who has. No, no, I know that you have. That's <laughs> well, what I, I have. know that you and have. And now I have. And frankly, it's not a game that I hated. But it's not no, a game I would no, seek no. out. And I think if I was, and one way I'll judge a game of like, do I like it? Don't I like it? Because for the most part, I like games and I'll play almost anything. But if I was, I was at some place, like I'm at, I'm, I find myself in a, in a mall. And for some reason, that mall down a corner has a video arcade game still there, still waiting to take quarters. Would I play it? And for almost any game, I'm, I'm sticking a quarter in because why not? I don't think I'd play this game. <laughs> I think if I was sitting there, I would pull up my phone and I would play something else instead. I think I wouldn't actually spend money on this game because my games are going to last 30 seconds. And I think no matter how much I play it, I'm never going to play it enough to get good at it because I don't like it that much. And the sound would draw everybody's attention in the mall. So I think I would actually give this one a pass. This is one of the few games. Well, I didn't hate it. I think I'm going to say thumbs down. Um, I'm not going to play this. I'm not going to play it again, but if I were in an arcade and it were unoccupied, I'd probably play it there uh, just, to see, just to see what it was like on a real cabinet. I, um, a lot of 
a lot of the reason that I enjoy doing No Quarter so much is the experience of, of playing these new games. And you know, some are not as great as others. Some are terrible. I, I, this one sort of falls on the, the lower end of the middle for me, where uh, in six weeks I'm going to forget that we played this and probably suggest it again. And somebody, and we may even record a second show not having remembered done it. It's just a forgettable. I keep waiting for us to actually do that because I forget <laughs> a lot of the games. We've done yeah. enough episodes now. We're into the mid sixties. I'm positive yep. we're going to get at least halfway through an episode <laughs> once and go. Hold on, didn't we already talk about this? <laughs> yeah, we'll that see day is happens. coming. That day is coming, and I hope that it is not with uh, not with Fast Freddy. It'll be Zarzon. Oh no! But maybe it will be this. Maybe it will be next week's game, Carrington. Ooh, what does it sound like? And are we going to try to fool people by playing a snippet of this game again? Well, I guess they'll have to judge for themselves. Oh, and before we wrap it up, I just wanted to say I I take my I, I tip my hat to Bert Zelton who. Holds the official record for for Fast Freddy with twenty two million two hundred ninety six thousand five hundred and forty points. Bert, I don't what? know how you had the patience to play the game that long, but but good on you, sir. That's cr- I just looked it up and he got that. It looks like June twenty sixth, nineteen eighty three, at the Last Chance Saloon in Kanawi, Wisconsin. So it's held that that title since eighty three, which is that's not surprising. But twenty two million in this game. There must be tricks or things that we don't know. Because come on, that's crazy. Maybe he just smoked a lot of marijuana. He thought he was playing for five minutes and it was really like four <laughs> hours later. Can't beat my eight-minute booyah game, baby. <laughs> that's right. All right, everybody. Have a good week. <laughs> Talk to you next week. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast and on Twitter we are at No Quarter Show. All of those links plus the show notes are available at monsterfeet.com and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain.